0: An anthology about the bad, the short lived, and the forgotten shows and events in television history. This is It Was a Thing on TV. Punisher!
1: Control! Hurry before I change my mind! I give you Super Train! Oh, <laughs> Episode 416, submission number
2: 763. Together We Stand Together We Stand aired on the CBS Television Network from September 22nd to October 29th, 1986 for six episodes
0: Six episodes is ten less than Uncle Croc's Block Hudson Brothers Razzle Dazzle Show J.J. Starbuck, Schooled and the number of aired episodes of Salvage One How
3: could this have happened
1: we're a family.
2: All right, so we are in the middle of the 1980s and the family sitcom is enjoying a bit of a renaissance kicked off by the likes of Family Ties, Different Strokes, Valerie and um some show on NBC that aired on Thursdays that we won't talk about. Night Court? That's
0: not nice to say about Night Court.
2: Oh, I would never besmirch the good name of Night Court. I'm talking about the lead-off show that night.
3: Oh, yeah. Guys, I want to be your love slave.
2: So, all of a sudden, every network had to have a decent family sitcom on TV. But not just any family sitcom, because, you know, you can have a house, two parents, 2.3 kids, laughter, haha, funny stuff, all that stuff. But in 1986, they had to stand apart in some way. Enter television genius Sherwood Schwartz. You remember Sherwood Schwartz,
3: right? Oh, yeah, I remember him. Gilgan's Island, the Brady Bunch. He's a legend.
2: So this legend, Sherwood Schwartz, teamed up with up-and-coming writers Al Burton. Well, not exactly up-and-coming. Al Burton's been established in the game for a while in 1986. But here's an up-and-comer, Michael Jacobs. Michael Jacobs, he went on to create Boy
0: Beats World. And dinosaurs.
2: And dinosaurs, yes.
0: And in case you didn't know, I told Chico and Greg about this. Not that you know that part, but this part you may or may not know about. Topanga has a baseball card. She threw out the first pitch at a Phillies game and she was
3: put on a Tops Now card. That's right. Now I have a question Has Topanga ever been to the great takeout business in Philadelphia? <laughs> Maybe she did after the first pitch. I figure you do a good takeout business.
1: The <laughs> takeout business. Yeah, we do a good takeout business. Takeout, take-out business.
2: <laughs> so yeah, Sherwood Schwartz, Albert and Michael Jacobs are in the market for a new kind of family. But not a new kind of family. That's a show for another episode. This family has two parents, a biological kid, and three more adopted kids of various ethnic backgrounds. But, before we talk about this show, we have to talk about another show. In 1974, while working on The Brady Bunch, Sherwood Schwartz had an idea for another family sitcom around the same vein as The Bradys. Probably wanted to sell it to ABC to fit right afterwards. It would have worked. This new sitcom centered around a new set of neighbors, Ken and Kathy Kelly, played by
3: Ken Berry and Brooke Bundy. Oh, wow. Ken Berry and Brooke Bundy. Okay. Now, I'm into this. Okay. You can't go wrong with Ken Berry. Not even with, you know, his wow show. Oh, God. The Ken Berry wow show.
2: Look on our random reels on our Instagram to see what we're talking about. That's got to be something we'll cover one day. So Ken and Kathy Kelly are in the process of adopting a child, Matt, played by Todd Lickenland, who is the younger brother of Bobby Brady himself, Mike Lickenland. Matt says if he goes through with the adoption, he's going to miss his two best friends, Dwayne and Steve. Dwayne is an African-American, played by Billy Pop more and Steve is an Asian American played by Carrie Wong so they decide to adopt them too oh that's nice so not only are Matt Dwayne and Steve best friends they are now in the eyes of the law brothers this would have worked as a standalone pilot but Schwartz wanted to test the waters as an episode of the Brady Bunch so instant backdoor pilot Now, there is a YouTube video about Hidden Pilots that focuses on Kelly's kids. That's the episode of the Brady Bunch, by the way. And I suggest you search that out because it's a really good watch. But unfortunately, both Kelly's kids and the Brady Bunch would be dead in the water by the end of that season. Now, time marches on, and given the ideal of the American family in the 1980s, Schwartz decides to team with Albert, Burton, and Michael Jacobs to try the idea again, only this time with a former Trailblazers coach named David Randall and his stay-at-home wife, Lori, with four kids, three of them adopted, Caucasian Amy, Asian-American Sam, and African-American Sally. The story is that David and Lori were told that they could not have any children, so they adopted... Amy as a baby but miracle upon miracles two years later here comes natural born son Jack for a while they think that the ideal family with 16 year old Amy and 14 year old Jack getting in all sorts of familial shenanigans until a pushy social worker pushes two more kids on them because you know They're really good parents, and this is a really good family, and these kids are two really good kids, and we think that they will be a perfect fit for you. 14-year-old Sam and 6-year-old Sally. Now, this ideal family was anything but, and then hilarity ensues. So let's talk about this crazy family of once four now six. Playing the father, the former Portland Trailblazers coach, David Randall, Elliot Gould, veritable legend. He was in Mash, among other things.
3: He's in the SNL Five Timers Club. I wonder what ever happened to that guy that put Tom Hanks into the room with all the ever five timers because he was Conan O'Brien
2: his wife Lori played by D Wallace Stone from ET nickname of the scream queen because she was also in Cujo, Critters and the Howling and was actually the voice of Ravina in not that little mermaid but another Little Mermaid film that came out in 2023. There was
3: another Little Mermaid film in 2023? That's what we call a mockbuster, Greg. Oh, I'm guessing the Asylum probably did that. It would
2: be totally on-brand for Dee Wallace, because her nickname is The Scream Queen. Playing 16-year-old Amy Randall is Katie O'Neill, who wasn't in much Either before or after, nothing is easy. I mean, she was on an episode of Trapper John, an episode of Highway to Heaven, an episode of Empty Nest, and that's it. Playing 14-year-old Jack Randall, Scott Grimes, who's done pretty much everything. I mean, we've seen him in Party of Five, we've heard him in American Dad, we've seen him in The Orville. Also, a hell of a singer, if you've ever heard him sing. I did not know he sings. Oh, yeah. He is a really good singer.
1: Oh, wow.
0: Yeah, Greg, if you go to IMDb, he's on Family Guy. It makes sense, given that Chico mentioned the Orville and American Dad. Oh, by the way, Steve Smith on American Dad. So he plays the son on American Dad, or the voice of the son on American
3: Dad. Oh, wait a minute. I remember now. Remember? The episode of American Dad where Steve was in that boy band—that wasn't
0: even where I was going. Oh, where were you going? With this? But you're not wrong because uh, that. But I was going to mention on Family Guy, he actually played Michael Bublé on an episode. What? I- I'm dead serious. I'm looking at this Michael Bublé, and he also voiced Kevin Swanson. So, so he voiced a son on Family Guy too. The Swanson's son. Uh, I'm guessing this is probably after he came back from war. Maybe before, too, but who knows? Okay, it looks like it's after because uh, he started doing the voice uh, in Season 10. And the Thanksgiving episode uh, from 2011, from Season 10, is where he returns from fighting overseas. So, Greg, you're curious about where Scott Grimes voiced Michael Bublé on Family Guy? Yeah. Season 13, episode 18, Take My Wife. Lois books a couple's vacation, but it turns out to be a marriage counseling program. Oh, this is the one where all the couples went to the island and, like, pirates sort of tried capturing them. Okay. I'm guessing this is a cutaway scene because it wasn't like they're at a resort and Michael Buble was singing there. But I know the episode.
2: Playing six-year-old Sally is Natasha Bobo, and like Katie O'Neill, has not had much of a career before or since this show. And finally, as 14-year-old Sam is Academy Award-winning actor Ke
3: hui Kwan. Who would have thought that one day Short Round would win an Oscar? But that is your family,
2: and as you can see... The comedy pretty much writes itself. Sam and Sally and Jack and Amy are competing with each other for time and affection and to have their sort of backgrounds inserted into the family dynamic, as is evidenced by the six episodes that aired in the fall of 1986. Episode 1, The Pilot. An in-your-face social worker tries to talk the Randalls into taking in two more children, an Asian-American boy named Sam and a little African-American girl named Sally, playing Fanny, the pushy in-your-face social worker, which is completely on brand for this lady, Edie McClurg.
3: Oh, wow. Second straight episode we talked about Edie McClurg. Oh, Mr. Rooney. He's a righteous dude. In reality, he's not. Well, no, she's talking about Ferris.
0: Oh, okay. Uh, just want to make sure we're not talking about Jeffrey Jones here because we don't like talking about him. Oh, no, no, hell no. Okay, just clarifying that. <laughs> Episode 2. Oh, brother.
2: Sam asks for tutoring to attract the object of his crush until David and Lori discover who his crush is. Said crush a lady by the name of Jeannie, played by another lady by the name of Tammy Ains, who was a that girl from that thing from 1985 to 1991. She was actually on eight TV shows from 1985 to 1999, and of those eight TV shows, only one of them would feature her for more than one episode. And that would be Silver Spoons in 1985, where she played both girl number one
3: and Heather. Wow, what a range. Girl number one and Heather.
0: How do we know that girl number one isn't named Heather?
2: That's right. I mean, this isn't a case of stripper number one and stripper number three with who cares about stripper number two from It's Always City in Philadelphia, you see. I'm sorry, the only one I remember is stripper number three. That's Titty.
3: <laughs> yeah, you know her really well. Good job. This is staying in this. <laughs> oh, you're damn right it is. I meant to say Tiffany Haddish, and it came out titty. Okay. This Natasha Laguero erasure will not stand, Chico. It will not stand.
0: I-, I just like that Chico called her titty. Titty Haddish. Okay. I- I, that that was be-
2: an honest mistake, by the way.
0: Okay, that may have been an honest mistake, but seriously, I think that's going to be the new nickname for her on this show. So, yeah, you know, we, we've had, you know, different things over the years. The Dilucopter and uh, uh, Clifford, the big uh, inbred dog and all that. I, I think our little in-joke now for Tiffany Haddish is we're going to call her Titty Haddish. And you claim to be a religious individual.
2: I'm only human, Mike.
0: Craying at the Church of the Titties.
2: Episode three.
0: Oh, yeah, you got off that really. Oh, I should have said you got off. Oh, no. Oh, God. Now
2: who's making the mistakes?
0: Well, that was a legit slip of tongue. Yours, I think, was was more of a commentary.
2: <laughs> Episode three. It happens one night. Lori worries that she's too white bread to be a proper mother to her two newest kids. Meanwhile, Jack and Sam try to watch an R-rated video cassette. But first, let me explain to you what a video
3: cassette is. Yeah, you kids, you might not have been around in the 80s. You don't know. You don't know the happenings of trying to get an R-rated video cassette from the video store. And some of you might be saying, "Greg, what's a video store?" And my response is, "Shut the hell up." question just
0: curious when Kahi kwan watched this r-rated video set, did something weird happen to his little
3: short round well you know data had those materials right and remember when he came the goonies when he came in on that zip line and he knocked freaking mikey and bram's mom's Michelangelo's david statue and you know what it took off okay charlie robinson
0: that's a penis We've gotten some mileage out of that the last couple of weeks.
2: We want to talk about uh, cultural differences here. Episode 4, Betrothal. The girl that Sam was betrothed to in his home country is escorted to the United States. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. How could he be 14 and already engaged to be married? But then I remember he's 14
0: from a foreign country and is engaged to be... Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, this is Wander Franco, like, 38 years earlier, 36 years earlier.
3: Oh, God, no! Why'd you have to mention Wander Franco, Mike? Why? Because Chico
0: said it was a different country and 14 years old. So, you know, I'm making it timely. I'm (laughs) not making it good, but I'm making it timely. Prove me wrong. I can't. That's why we're moving on. Okay, All right. Uh, a couple of
2: names in this episode. Playing the object of said betrothal, Kim, Minai Noji, who you would remember as Karai in 2014's THB Ninja Turtles, Miss Bangkok in 2005's Be Cool, and if you have the DVD like me, Rurouni Kenshin Final Chapter Part 2, The Beginning. Greg remembers her as a realtor in an episode of How I Met Your Father.
3: Oh, that's right. She was on How I Met Your Father.
2: And playing Kim's handler, a man by the name of Chow, known entity Clyde Kusatsu. You remember him as Principal Shimada on Family Matters, Japanese finance minister Omono on Designated Survivor. I know Greg remembers him as Judge Lamington on two episodes of Young Rock. That's right. He was on Young Rock. And nowadays, he can be seen as Mr. Yanaga on Nickelodeon's The Really Loud House. The Really Loud House. Yes. It's like The Loud House, but far less animated.
0: Is that like a sequel or a spinoff?
2: It is a spinoff. It is the live-action version of The Loud House.
0: Because that's what we all clamored for. Oh, and I knew the name was familiar. Because... Clyde Kasatsu, he was on an episode of Super Train, and Hello Larry. Ooh,
3: making a low-key Hall of Fame case.
0: Well, do you want me to add some more to make it even a, a greater Hall of Fame case?
3: Yeah. How
0: about The Powers of Matthew Starr on one episode? He was on We Got It Made, the original 1983 series for an episode. Three's a Crowd, he was on one episode. So that right there is, I think, five, and then this is six, so maybe something a little more than a low-key Hall of Fame case, but we have definitely talked about him at length on a number of shows.
2: Episode five, Socks and Bonds. Jack is jealous about the newfound relationship between Sam and Lori after Lori buys Sam new clothes. You know what this reminds me of? You master has given Dobby a sock. Dobby is a free elf.
3: What the hell is that?
2: Harry Potter, Greg.
3: Oh, that's right. Oh, RIP Michael Gambon. We'll miss you, Dumbledore.
2: I will not forget him, nor the corner of the Top Gear test track that bears
3: his name. I'm sure Jeremy Clarkson is mourning his death, too. And finally, oh, dear. First of
2: all, all letters for this episode name should go to the writer Mark Miller, but it is called A Chicken in Every Walk. Oh, not to justify it, but it was a different time. Sam runs for class president, with Jack as his campaign manager, but
3: a rift between the brothers prompts Jack to enter the race as well. This is like the episode of Family Guy where Peter ran against Lois for class president because Peter wanted Mr. Farkus back. Who do you think would win between Steve Smith and Short Round? Short Round? Uh, I don't know, my money's on Steve He's got the advantage of having his dad in the CIA.
2: Oh, good point. All right, so that was the series. NBC, who did not pick up this show instead it went to CBS, as we said before, Brandon Tartikoff, he said that the concept behind Together We Stand was something Sherwood Schwartz has been trying to peddle for eons, a feel-good comedy that combines the Mr. Black show with the Brady Punch. And you would have thought it worked, right? So now the question becomes what happened? Yeah, what did happen? Well, the show originally launched on Monday nights after Kate Nally, a known commodity that fit the schedule like a
3: glove. Hold on. Hold on. You said Monday nights, right? Monday nights, 1986, on CBS. I know where this is going. You know where this is going? Let me guess. Monday Night Football?
0: Not to start. Monday Night Football started at 9. This aired at 8.30. So that's why I say not necessarily. What it went up against, at least for its premiere, it went up against Amazing Stories on NBC. So this would have been the second season of Amazing Stories, the, the Steven Spielberg show, which was really good, but... Didn't last long. And this is not a bad lead-in, if you will, for Monday Night Football. The second half hour of MacGyver.
3: Oh, that does it. Yeah. You're not going to beat Richard Dean Anderson.
0: And really, I don't think you're going to beat MacGyver, especially because it was the lead-in to Monday Night Football. Yeah, MacGyver by itself, you're probably not going to beat it, but you're definitely not going to beat it as the lead-in to Monday Night Football, especially this premiere game, the Bears at the Packers, and let's remember this is the year where the Bears were the reigning Super Bowl champions, 1986.
2: When the schedule was announced, it was actually supposed to be on to lead off the night with a new show that would ultimately founder itself. We will be covering this on a future episode, Better Days with Raphael Sparge. Oh, a but, basketball drama. Yeah. Ultimately, CBS decided to put it on after Kate and Allie, where it would have a chance to, you know, gain an audience. And, you know, against MacGyver and Amazing Stories. Interesting counter-programming, there. Well, I have numbers. You do have the numbers. I want to hear the numbers.
0: Judge for yourself. Now... From what I can tell, this is from the second week. I'm tempted to think it's the first week, but maybe it's the second week. Because Together We Stand aired twice. There was a preview episode. And the preview episode out of 73 shows that week was 23rd. Not bad. Now, I don't know if that's the Monday episode or if that's another episode. Because the second episode I see... Again, 73 shows, 68th. But also, when you take a look at the shows on Monday night it went up against, I'm going to compare the preview episode to MacGyver and Amazing Stories. So I said 23rd, Amazing Stories was 38th that week, and MacGyver was 49th. So conceivably, if this preview episode aired against those two shows, it won the time slot. But if it didn't, man, that's just ugly. And if I take a look at Kate and Allie's ratings this week, how about this for a drop-off? Kate and Allie was tied for 17th that week. So look how much of its lead-in it lost. It went from a 19.3 rating down to a 10. So they lost probably very close to half their audience.
2: I've got to clarify a point there. The first episode that aired out of Kate Nally was a 17.1, which was good for 24th. The second episode, which aired out of Kate Nally, was an 18.1, which is good for 23rd. And then it moved to Wednesday because CBS thinks it has another hit on its hands, leading into Better Days and Magnum PI and the Equalizer. That's where the drop-off happens, because episode 3 had a
0: 10.0. Okay, so that's the 10.0 that I found. But oddly enough, it looks like it came from week 2. Just looking at the air dates, I think I see what happened. I think the second episode was that preview, per se, and then Wednesday night was the proper episode, if you will. And yeah, that moved didn't work out terribly well. People saw the show on Monday night, but they just didn't follow on Wednesday. Oh, and I think I know what aired on Wednesday night as counter-programming. And if my guess is right, yikes. Monday offered a chance for a
2: show that could succeed. Wednesday offered up competition from upstart hits Perfect Strangers on ABC and Highway to Heaven on NBC.
0: I knew about Highway to Heaven. That was the one I was expecting. But you're talking about the second season of Perfect Strangers. That's a gut punch.
2: You're not getting out of that one. According to the extent of our research, that episode, the episode that airs on Wednesdays,
3: out of 72 shows, ranked 68th. You know what was a shame it didn't drop one more spot because you know what would have ranked guys? Oh,
0: jeez. Oh, jeez. It's a trap. See, we're not falling into that trap. 69th, nice. Okay. Uh, so the following week, so this would be uh, episode four, it ranked 51st out of 64 shows. And then the week after, so we're talking October 13th to the 19th. 43rd out of 64 shows. So, again, bottom third, or roughly bottom third. So it's not looking terribly well. Oh, look at this. October 27th, November 2nd of 86. 64th out of 74 shows.
3: I'm seeing a pattern here, and this is not a good pattern. And you know what also probably hurt this, Mike? What was going on the previous week, Mike? I think, I know you're talking about, the World Series. Yeah, between the Mets and the Red Sox. Because Game 4 would have aired that Wednesday night. And that was a priceless World Series.
2: Even earlier than that particular week, CBS saw the writing on the wall. In fact, on October 21st, they announced several changes, including putting Together We Stand and the Twilight Zone on hiatus and better days out of its misery. But... They weren't exactly done with the Randalls. So what happened to them? What happened to the show? And more specifically, what happened to the father? We'll answer these questions right after these era-appropriate commercials.
1: Wednesday, at a special time, a local hero comes home.
2: When you're number one like Double D... People look at you different. That's the kind of life I
3: want. First class
1: all the way. And provides a rude awakening. You're the best thing that ever came out of this school. I'm not as good as you make me out to be. A special episode of Better Days followed by Together We Stand Wednesday. Thursday, surf's up for Rick and AJ. Weird. Oh, yeah, this is gonna be a real tough one. You want the weird news? A killer is betting that they'll wipe out. Forget I said that. Simon and Simon. Then, everybody always gets what's coming to them. I'm gonna get my divorce finalized. I ought to get some credit where credit is due. Something put me up to it. Nuts lending. And an unexpected tragedy. I'm not doing fine, I- drives K.O. into the arms of her past. Stay with K.O. O'Brien Thursday on CBS. Good evening from CBS News. This is Newsbreak. United Press says that the U.S., Kuwaiti, and British embassies in Greece are on alert tonight after reports that an Arab hit squad has entered that country. The United States proposed in Geneva today that all long-range or ballistic missiles be eliminated in ten years. It's the same deal talked about at the Iceland summit, but now the U.S. Joint Chiefs have given it their okay. The Statue of Liberty finally turned 100 today, more than four months after birthday festivities began on the 4th of July. Today's actual anniversary was marked with a small ceremony and various musical tributes. Do you know someone that got up on the wrong side of the bed this morning? Send them an FTD Pick Me Up bouquet. It's it bright flowers, rainbow coffee mug, and reusable tote bag. We'll put them back in the swing of things. Cancer deaths can be cut in half by the end of the century, says the American Cancer Institute. Its plan calls for major campaigns against cigarette smoking and poor diet. And New York and Boston were a study in contrast today. Boston was somber and subdued after last night's Red Sox loss in the World Series. But a shuttle ride away in New York, it was a sky full of paper and two million fans on the streets to greet the world champion Mets. Bill Curtis, CBS News, Chicago. This is CBS.
2: So when we last left the Randall family of Together We Stand, we had two parents, four kids, and no TV show. With the network pulling it after six episodes. Six mediocre rating episodes. You would think that this would be the end of the story. For any other TV show, it would be. But, surprise! Episode 416.5, submission number 763, bravo! Nothing is easy! Nothing is Easy aired on the CBS Television Network from February 8th to April 24th, 1987 for 13 episodes, six of which went unaired.
0: So wait, I'm confused. Is this three episodes less than Uncle Croc's Block, Hudson Brothers Razzle Dazzle Show, J.J. Starbuck Schooled, and the number of aired episodes of Salvage 1? Or... Since this is the second time we're mentioning it, do I need to add those two 16s together and make it 32 and say that the total number of episodes, which was 19, is 13 less episodes than double the number of episodes of Uncle Croc's Block, Hudson Brothers, Razzle Dez, so, J.J. Starbuck's Schooled, and double the number of aired episodes of Salvage One. I'm sorry, I'm confused.
2: Greg is giving me that look. What the
3: hell?
0: Is Greg giving me a finger? No. Oh, my God. I think I see drool actually coming out of Greg's mouth. (laughs) He's that shocked. I'm sorry for blowing your mind, Greg. Here's the theme music.
2: It's a retooling of the premise. And that retooling saw D. Wallace Stone's Lori Randall all of a sudden a single parent of four after the writers decided to kill off Elliot Gould's character in a car crash when Gould declines to return for the reband. The reasoning behind the move, a mystery to this very day. And you know what? Props to CBS for basically treating this like an entirely different TV show. Hey, nobody watched the original show. Who's going to notice? But yeah, everybody except for Elliot Gould came back. So to fill in the void, we have a fussy divorced neighbor named Marion Simmons, played by Julia Mijanes, a stage soprano best known for originating the role of Hodel in Fiddler on the Roof on Broadway. But now with the sudden departure of the dad we'd have a new batch of issues with an absentee father and a nosy neighbor, all of which is brought up in the first episode of Nothing is Easy, entitled We're a Family. An adoption agency wants Sam and Sally back. Meanwhile, Lori tries to cram for a big test. You see, now that she is by herself, She has gone back to school to become a stenographer. Playing the adoption agent, Dan Chasen, Burton Collins wasn't in much of anything for a long time, but was in a lot of TV movies. Episode 2, I Never Dance With
0: Mother. Sam finds it difficult to talk to anyone about his new love. Episode three, a kiss
2: is just a kiss. Jack is teased at school after he faints from
0: kissing a girl. Oh, Steve Smith, you're doing Steve Smith stuff 18 years before American Dad is even a thing, because seriously, I think that's a total Steve Smith thing, fainting after he gets a kiss from a girl.
2: That does seem like a total Steve Smith thing, doesn't it? Episode 4, Double Date. Lori agrees to go out on a double date with Marion, but fears that her blind date won't be a dream come true. Sisters are doing it for themselves, except that these sisters are mothers. So mothers are doing it for themselves. Episode 5, Mother, Can You Spare a Dime? Lori convinces the kids to have a garage sale when they all want money.
0: What do they all want, Jimmy Walker? Money. We haven't heard that for ages. A person that doesn't have a character name in this episode uh, appears. It's a gentleman by the name of Ryan Lambert. The reason I mention him is he was on 65 episodes of Kids Incorporated. I totally
2: remember Kids Incorporated. It was the show that gave us Martika and Fergie. Wait, Martika was on Kids Incorporated? Martika was on Kids Incorporated.
3: Oh, wow. I didn't know the girl who sung Toy Soldiers was on that show. But remember, my parents didn't buy Disney Channel. Mario Lopez was also on Kids Incorporated. Oh. I don't know if he was
0: dancing or drumming, but he could do both. Also, I found another person that was on Kids Incorporated, and I'm surprised this person actually had a career this late. Moosey Dreyer, who was a kid actor on the later seasons of Rowan and Martin's Laugh-In. I thought he had no career after, like, 1973. He was on 90 episodes. Shows what you know, Mike. Well, he would have been 20 at the time, because I think he was, like, 8 years old uh, in that final season of laughing so it fits sort of you know not the same age range as Mario Lopez obviously or Fergie but works to a point I think and Jennifer Love Hewitt was on it too? What? I'm sorry what? 35 episodes 1989 to 1991 as Robin that's what you get when you scroll down the IMDB page watch I run into somebody else even more popular Hold on. Oh, oh, wait, wait. Speaking of laughing, Ruth Buzzy
3: was on two episodes. She wasn't a kid, though. But, Mike, do you know what epic movie Jennifer Love Hewitt was in in 1992? Surprise me. Munchie. Munchie? Yeah, Munchie. Does Chico not know about Munchie? If you can find the last season of Mystery Science Theater 3000 from last year, watch Munchie. That's all you need to know. And once you see it, you'll realize, why did I never have this movie in my life before today? Five words. Dom Del as Turd Monster.
2: <laughs>
3: That's Back what up. Munchie basically is.
2: Back up. Dom DeLuise as a turd monster.
3: Just write Don DeLuise Munchie.
0: Boy, his career went down the crapper, with all due respect, no pun intended, <laughs> after he did uh, Candid Camera, apparently. Because remember, he hosted Candid Camera right before this, like 1991. So, not so good version of Candid Camera, Munchie, the end. Or if you ask Greg, it's the other way around. Candid Camera, Munchie, The beginning! Episode 6. That's what
2: friends are for? When the Randall house is mistakenly fumigated, Lori and the kids are forced to camp out in the backyard. Did wacky
0: shenanigans happen? Yes. Did hilarity ensue? Yes. Okay, I just wanted to use both of our phrases. The pre- episode 400 version and the post episode 400 version because a couple weeks ago we did talk about how wacky shenanigans happen is the new hilarity ensues
2: and the last aired episode sunday monday and always jack and sam decide to help scalp tickets to a rock concert in order to help the family's financial woes
0: woes
3: and if this was 2023 you know they'd be scalping the shit out of those Taylor Swift tickets.
2: <laughs> oh, but yes.
3: We've all seen the Taylor Swift effect in action this last
0: week. You want to know what the crazy thing is? And Greg, I'm sure you saw this on Sports Cards Nonsense. Somebody was trying to sell some Travis Kelsey cards, couldn't move them. As soon as he added the words Taylor Swift, boom, sold. Swifties love themselves some Kelsey, apparently.
3: I got to be honest, though. As far as, like, significant others with the Kelseys, I got to say, Jason's wife is much better. And if you've seen Jason Kelsey's wife, you would agree.
0: But let's be real honest here, Greg. The true MVP among the Kelseys is Mama Kelsey.
3: It's Mama Kelsey, yes. And I'm sure her and Taylor Swift had a ball watching the Chiefs just destroy the Bears.
0: Oh, you saw them in the skybox. You know they are having fun. There is one name in this episode not in front of the camera. The director of this episode is a very well-known name in the industry, Peter Bonners. He's directed a whole bunch of things, but also you may remember him from The Bob Newhart Show.
2: I also remember him. To tie it back to what we did for the last three episodes, as the first Franklin Hart on the TV version of 9 to 5. The role made famous by Daphne Coleman.
3: See, it all ties together.
2: So, that's the show, and there were six other episodes. I have those names, but like they matter, we have Girls' Night In. Little Miracle, Jack's Alter Ego, Against All Odds, Love is in the Air, and My Mentor. All six of those never aired. So what happened? The show aired on Sunday nights at 9.30 after another ratings winner, Designing Women, and up against the Movie of the Week on NBC and CBS. So good counter-programming there. Besides that, Fox had yet to program Sunday nights at this time. That's going to become a thing somewhere down the line. It ran for exactly two weeks at that time. Uh, Mike,
0: do you have the ratings by any chance? I've got numbers, but also I'm going to disagree with you about the counter-programming and putting a show like that at 9.30 on Sundays. That's usually a dead zone. Now, I know... About a year earlier, two years earlier, the Jeffersons was still at Sunday nights, I think even at the 9.30 time slot. It's a different era. I I just don't see people watching a comedy on Sunday nights at 9.30 necessarily in 1986-87. Plus also, just taking a look for the premiere episode, the two Mrs. Grenvilles aired on NBC Part 1, I'm guessing that's a miniseries, potentially. But I don't think you're going to beat what was on ABC that week. Romancing the Stone. Oh, boy. So this wasn't just some sort of throwaway TV movie of the week. You're talking about a big cinematic release from two, three years earlier. So that was maybe the writing on the wall. If we take a look at the following week, so this is February 15th, we have another movie on NBC. This one is definitely not a miniseries, The Facts of Life Down Under. The Facts of Life Down Under, were they that desperate for ratings in 1987? Apparently so.
3: Wait, you said The Facts of Life Down Under, right?
0: Yes, The the Facts of Life
3: Down Under. What was opposite on EBC?
0: Oh, here's the miniseries. And this would probably inflicted a lot of damage to any chance of nothing is easy getting viewers. America Part
3: One. That's America with a K. With a K,
0: correct, yes.
3: That
2: was just the cinematic event of 1987 there. By cinematic, I mean televised cinematic.
0: And by the event, you're talking about America, not the Facts of Life Down Under. I wish
3: it was the Facts of Life Down Under.
0: I need to see who was in this besides the usuals and what the whole plot is. Blair, Tootie, Natalie, Joe, Beverly Ann, and Andy visit the land down under. Blair and Joe are warned of a planned jewel heist. Beverly Ann visits a beau from many years ago. Natalie is stranded in the outback... <laughs> And Tootie meets a Yale student who pretends to be a young Aborigine. They must have been really desperate for ratings in 1987. They should have just let the damn show die. Oh, wait, hold on. I got some names here. Mario Van Peebles was in this movie. Along with the usual people you'd expect from Facts of Life. Cloris Leachman, Lisa Welchel, Kim Fields, Mindy Cohn. Oh, this is after Charlotte Ray. So, Charlotte Ray apparently sold the business or whatever, abandoned the girls. Yeah, so this apparently was something for some reason. I can't even call it a thing, it's something. But getting back to what you're saying earlier, do I have ratings? Yes, I do. For its first episode, we're talking about the rejuvenated new name Nothing is Easy. Seventy four episodes for the week. It ranked tied for sixtieth. So again, you're right at about the bottom fifth, the bottom twenty percent. And really there's nothing that's worth mentioning outside of O'Hara that had lower ratings. Well Spencer for higher, I should add that. Spencer Oh, and Sledgehammer. I should add Sledgehammer. Because A will eventually cover it, but also B actually decent. So, they
2: pulled it exactly two weeks. Ratings didn't get any better, as you said, Mike. Then they moved it to Fridays at 8 against future entries, The Charmings and Roomies. The Charmings? No! What the hell is Roomies? I want to know this myself. Let me take a look here. Ruby's was created by Cy Rosen of Cy Rosen fame. Nick Chase, a 42-year-old former drill instructor, has retired from the Marines and is now taking advantage of the GI Bill to attend Saginaw University. He gets assigned to a room with Matthew Wiggins, a 14-year-old boy genius who has also enrolled at Saginaw to study marine. Oh, jeez. What kind of shit is this? <laughs> He's a 42-year-old former drill instructor. He's a 14-year-old boy genius. They live together. This they sounds like... They
3: don't even like... fight crime. They just live together. <laughs> this sounds like the bottom. <laughs> I hate to bring up Family Guy again, but when they changed around Brian's script and had James Woods <laughs> involved in it, class holes. Ha <laughs> ha
0: Okay, thank you for cleaning that up because I thought you were going to say it sounds like Wander Franco the movie. Why do you have to keep bringing up him? I don't want to
3: talk about Wander Franco.
0: He's an adult. He's 14. Hilarity ensues. Uh, Boy, you know what? After listening to what Chico said about that, the Charmings actually sounds
3: acceptable. Just to let everyone know, He said that about Wonder, Franco. Not me. I never said it. He did. So yeah, like I said,
0: by comparison, the Charming sounds like all in the family compared to Roomies.
2: So how did Nothing is Easy do on Fridays, mic?
0: Oh, I'm glad you asked, Chico. (laughs) Awkward transition.
1: I'm trying!
0: No, no, that's fine. That's fine. For the first episode, uh, April 6th to the 12th, Nothing is easy, ranked 61st, tied for 61st out of 70 shows. So we're looking at bottom 15% roughly. Tied with Spencer for hire, beat O'Hara. Those are, again, the only shows in note. For the final episode, this would have been uh, April 20th to the 26th. Out of 70 shows, it tied for 60th with our house, and Popcorn Kid. And again, really nothing of note that did worse. What the, Francis the Popcorn Kid? Well, I was afraid you're saying, say, what the heck is our house? And it's like, please do not disrespect the good names of Chad Allen and Shannon Doherty and Wilford Brimley.
3: Diabetes.
0: All right, I'm guessing before I even look at what the Popcorn Kid is about, Again, it may be another TV show that makes The Charmings look like I Love Lucy. Oh, it only had six episodes. Boy, that's really telling. The two seasons of The Charmings seems like about 20 at this point. A 16-year-old working behind the candy counter of a movie theater dreams of someday being in show
3: business. The famous Teddy Z did this a lot better.
0: Yeah, but did the famous Teddy Z have Faith Ford as a spoiled, ditzy, blonde cheerleader? No. So there you go. The popcorn kid had Faith Ford as a ditzy cheerleader.
3: Look, she'd go on to much better things with Murphy Brown. Let's be clear on this.
0: Oh, Penelope Ann Miller was in this too.
3: Oh my God, this would have been like right around the time of Adventures and Babysitting too.
0: Correct. So you actually had Faith Ford and Penelope Ann Miller. That's... Actually a good combination. I like that. But yeah, that ran six episodes. and I'm sure if we can find something, we may cover it one day. But, you know, I think the world will continue if we don't. But let's get back to the ratings for the season. So this goes from September 22nd of 86 to April 19th of 87. The combination of Together We Stand and Nothing Is Easy ranked 66th out of 83 shows beating Spencer for Hire, which was 68th, O'Hara, which is 69th, Sledgehammer, which was tied for 70th, The Twilight Zone, the 85 reboot, was 76th, and Life with Lucy was 78th.
2: So after five more episodes on Friday, CBS closed the door on the Randalls, good. Neither Together We Stands nor Nothing Is Easy ever aired outside of their original runs, nor per the extent of our research did all of the episodes air overseas. Off-network rips seem to have been lost to time and space, and outside the occasional upload of promos and opening sequences, the series as a whole appears to be lost media. It's
3: probably a good thing.
2: After all, nobody wants to remember... Data from the Goonies as the guy from Nothing is Easy who always wore a San Francisco Giants jacket.
3: Yeah, I mean, the Giants, if this was 1987, yeah, they'd all be about Jeffrey Leonard one flap down. This
2: was just a speed bump in the careers of Elliot Gould, who had already had an established career. D. Wallace, who was in frickin' ET and many features besides, and of course, Sam himself, Hui Kwan, who is now remembered for two things. One, being data in the Goonies, and two, his Academy Award winning stint in Everything Everywhere All at Once. Did we forget a short round? Three. Three things, and also,
3: the town of Portland is still weird. It's always going to be weird. Just ask uh, Fred Hormison. We'll just ask
0: McLean Stevenson. Hello, Larry. Portland, Portland is a long, long way, from, way LA. from LA. Exactly. Thinking- Look, that was beautiful. We didn't even script that. We sing. Hello, Larry there. Hello,
2: Larry. I'm not mistaken. This is the third show that we've covered that takes place in Portland.
3: Okay. Hello, Larry. This, what's
2: the third? Stumptown. That's true. We loved Elliot Gould. We loved D. Wallace. We loved K. Ke- Kwan, but together we stand Nothing is easy. A show by any other name is just a thing on TV. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. But remember, you can always go to our website over at It Was A Thing on TV, where you can listen to the 415 episodes that preceded this one. All sorts of great bonuses, including mini zones, live shows, extended versions of previous episodes, whole nine yards. And remember, we are on all social media, including Instagram, Threads, Mastodon. At It Was a Thing on TV, except for Facebook, where we are at It Was a Thing on TV Podcast. And remember to subscribe to the podcast wherever fine podcasts can be streamed. At Apple Podcasts, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, Audible. You can use Google Podcasts, but that's going offline in 2024, just as a heads up. Darn. Darn indeed. Yeah, you know the story behind that. They're integrating Google Podcasts
3: into YouTube Music. Well, that's fine with me because I already have YouTube Music, so. Yeah. And if you have YouTube Music, you can download the podcast.
2: Hell, if you have YouTube, you can find us, like us, subscribe to us, and hit that notification bell so you can stay up to date on future entries like what we have in store for next week's show. Oh,
3: next week. Well, guys, we've talked about how much we love this film franchise. What happens when this film franchise becomes a cartoon? Wacky shenanigans happen, I guess. That, yeah. But then what happens when someone has the strange idea let's turn this into a live action series? Wacky er? shenanigans happen? Maybe? Probably not? But you'll find out more about those wacky shenanigans happening in our next two episodes of It Was a Thing on TV. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you with some more fun stuff real soon. Row. Hey, did you see a set of kids around here? No time for love, Dr. Jones. F- kids. See, you thought it was gonna be short round who said it, but no, it was Randall from Clerks who said the line. <laughs> um.